look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli. My co-host Dave Pop, which is still not here, which means again another great show. So, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about unretirement, basically a U-turn going from the workforce into retirement, going back to the workforce. It's a common theme. We're going to talk about why recent surveys have come out. You don't want to miss what's happening with the unretirement. And we're going to start a new system, a new program, a new idea to this show. We're going to bring in a city view. We normally talk about global issues, financial issues, and issues for people that are transitioning to or living in retirement. We're going to add a city component. We're going to have a, council, a city of council, um, Ward 5 Councilman Georgia Hall to join us talking about what the heck's going on with the city. I'm going to ask him about the Olympics. Do we really need to spend that kind of money for this? We're going to do more of that on the show. In this segment, we're going to talk about some of the key things that came out this week in in the markets and in the news. And the first one we want to talk about is is talking about the whole North Korea, South Korea, and the the view of uh, maybe no more war. They've stopped this big conflict they've had for for decades now. Um, but the market didn't react in North America on Friday in the morning when the announcement happened. Uh, we didn't see a reaction. We didn't see a big buying frenzy or people having a lot more hope in the market. So do, are we skeptical? Well, I am. I don't know how much this is going to work out or what's going to be the real reason uh, that they're going to come to some sort of agreement. I think the agreements are pretty far apart at this point in time. So I'm optimistic. But I don't think that this is going to be a solution that we're going to see in a very short period of time. Now, who's getting a lot of credit for all this? Of course, uh, President Donald Trump, ever since he came on board as president, he's been pushing the whole North Korea agenda. And if you've seen since he's been president, uh, there's been a lot of changes that have happened. Uh, we saw how North Korea and South Korea handled themselves during the Olympics. We've seen that the fact that uh, North Korea and South Korea got together and had a conversation and had some sort of agreement. And the fact that the North Korean uh, uh government is going to meet with Donald Trump in May. So very interesting steps. And I, I know Trump is taking a lot of kudos for that, but I was quite surprised to see no reaction in North America, a little bit positive reaction in Asia and in Europe. So that was a very interesting point. The second one that I want to talk about is mortgage rates. I'm seeing more and more retirees, individuals who are approaching retirement, have debt, have mortgage debt. And one thing that came out this week was TD Bank uh, raise their mortgage rates. This is the biggest move in years that we've seen. To give you a bit of an idea, about a half a percent increase in the five-year mortgage rate. The posted rate on their website when I last checked was 5.59%. Now, that's the posted rate. That doesn't mean that's the rate you're going to get because you know we see that banks sometimes give you a lower rate than what they're posting. And so when we went to ratespy.com, this is a website that I use to see how the rates are doing in comparing to banks to banks and, and smaller lenders and seeing what's going on there. When I looked at that website and I saw the big difference, I saw that you know 5.59 was the posted rate for, for TD. On the other end of the spectrum, I believe CIBC had their posted rate at 4.99. But no matter which number you look at, it's around 5 or just above 5%. And as you have debt, 
going into retirement or already in retirement and interest rates jump up, you're going to see a bigger cost to your bottom line, which means you have less money to spend on other things. Here's the thing. 50% of all mortgages that are coming up for renewal are happening this year. 50%. So that means from five years ago to today, interest rates have shot up quite a bit. We've seen a lot of jump in those interest rates. And that, again, is the cost that I'm worried about. Now, we're also seeing that many individuals who are transitioning to or living in retirement are considering to right-size their home. And when I say right-size, I don't mean downsize and have less money to spend on a home. I'm talking moving from one type of home, let's say a two-story home, going to maybe a bungalow or a townhouse, but the price may be the same. It may not, it may not be a change. Here's the thing that people have to remember. When you go to a new property and you need a mortgage, you may need to requalify. And the rules have changed since, uh, since uh, January where the qualification or the stress test is different now. And so you may not qualify. So before you put your house on the market, before you decide to, to look for a property and think that you can right-size your home or just buy a different home, recreational property, whatever it may be, make sure you're, you are approved. Qualify for that mortgage if you need it. And also speak to a financial advisor. Talk to them and see how will this impact your financial future. And it does put a strain on some sort of cash flow. It does put a strain on what you can do in the event of emergencies and, and so forth. So those are the kind of things as we're seeing interest rates move up. So I want to thank uh, you know, um, the, the website, spyrate.com, sorry, ratespy.com. And, uh, and for their information they provided to me, it was very, very useful. Another topic I want to mention that happened this week was we saw a report from our uh, our chief uh, tax expert at CIBC about blind faith in your tax preparer. And he came out, and his name is Jamie Golenbeck. He's been a reoccurring guest on our show. And he's, he's come out to our show before, but he's talked about some of the issues with tax and tax filing. One thing that he mentioned in his recent article was that he, uh, he, he outlined uh, a key topic about how individuals, you and I, when we go and file our taxes, um, at the end of the day, we just can't have blind trust or blind faith with our tax preparer. We can't assume that all of the responsibility comes off of our shoulders and onto the shoulders of the tax preparer. Now, there's been some court cases out there talking about, you know, people who have misrepresented their income or lied on their taxes and then they get caught for that. But there was one case that he mentioned in the article that said there was an, uh, a tax preparer who was willfully lying on people's taxes to lower their tax burden um, and provide them a return or what have you. And in this case, um, CRA caught the individual, the, the customer, the tax payer on the situation and said, well, not only do you owe us interest and penalties, but there's a gross negligence penalty for what you did. And this is where it went to court. The individual said, well, I'll pay the interest, I'll pay the penalties, but I'm not going to pay this gross negligent penalty because I wasn't uh, negligent at all. It was the, the tax preparer who, who lied. And so the tax court said, you can't willfully be blind. You, can, you have to sign off on this document and you have to have some so knowingly or under circumstances be able to understand what you're putting on your, on your tax documents. So this is the extreme case, I believe, is when you have someone willfully lying. 
then you have individuals who are not able to report all their income. And so I've seen many individuals who forget a tax receipt, lost a tax receipt, didn't get in the mail, what have you, and they file. And when they get this, this letter from CRA saying, you need, to, uh, you need to refile or we're going to make an amendment, we're going to charge you interest penalties, um, be aware that you can't go back to your, uh, your preparer generally and say it's your fault, you should have caught that. Now, some preparers are able to find all the taxes that, uh, tax receipts that were filed, but there are some who can't. And so you have to look at what's available, what's all the information, understand that at the end of the day, you as an individual is responsible for your own tax filing. So I found that a very good article that came out of, out of from Jamie Golenbeck, again, our, our uh, Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC. And so I was glad to see that article come out. If you want a copy of that article, let me know. Go to our website at pkag.ca. Send me a note. I'll give you the copy of that article. I think it's a very nice piece to read so you have a better understanding as we're in now crunch time, two days away until the tax uh, tax deadline. We've got a great show today. We've got a great piece of information about unretirement. And we're going to go to that first. But before we do, remember, when you're transitioning to or living in retirement, some of the concerns that people have are, am I going to run out of money? How much risk am I going to take in my investments to make sure I can retire properly? We're going to walk you through our strategy. From our asset dedication strategy, we call it the four buckets, all the way through to our five-pillar investment strategy approach. Now, you can join us for our seminar on Tuesday, May 29th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seats, so give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Now, join us after the break. We're going to talk about this unretirement or the U-turn going back to work. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. This is Faisal Carmali with the 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And there's been a new concept coming out of the the American community for retirement. They label this the U-turn or the unretirement. This is uh, a retirement where people are going back to work. And it's it's a... trend that's happening. Some are claiming this financial, some are claiming for other reasons. We're going to find out what really is it. We got Kathleen Mullen. She's uh, at RAND, senior economist and co-author of its American Working Conditions Survey. Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, so how common is it for people to retire, then go back to work? So it's actually, I think, a little more common than I would have expected. Um, so we you know, we have a couple of ways of getting at this. You know, one is we observe people who are out of the labor force and, um, you know, they say that they're not looking for work. They, they've essentially retired and they're, um, we ask them basically, you know, would you go back to work if the right opportunity arose? And we found that about half of people ages, you know, 50 plus said yes to that question. So there's definitely some evidence that, you know, if the right opportunity came along, uh, you know, people might take advantage of it. But, you know, we actually also, you know, observe people who are currently working and who say that they've previously retired. So, you know, among people who are 65 plus, we asked basically, um, have you ever retired before? And uh, I think 40 percent of those who said that they had ever retired were actually like working at the time that we asked them, you know, these questions about their uh, their, their working conditions. So, uh, it does seem to be, you know, relatively common that people uh, have the sort of fluidity of going in and out of work at older ages. So what are some of the main reasons that for people to go back to work? 
Uh, well, you know, one thing that was really cool about the survey is we asked people, you know, what are the sort of attributes that you find attractive or, you know, interesting or I guess important actually is the way to say it. And um, and we definitely found stark differences between what older workers and younger workers said were important to them. So older workers were much more interested in jobs that provided them a lot of control over the type of work they did, you know, a nice, uh, you know, pace, more relaxed pace of work. Uh, you know, you definitely found that they were interested in, in less physically demanding jobs than younger yeah. workers. Um, but it seems that, you know, the formal financial benefits, the, the paycheck aspect of it was much less important for older workers and younger workers. That seems to be a key driver in, uh, in sort of uh, understanding that decision at older ages. Yeah, it's very interesting. In my uh, retirement wealth management practice, um, the clients who are in that U-turn or unretirement, the two common uh, responses that I get, and this is anecdotal, of course, uh, one is the financial reason. They need to get that paycheck back in because they're concerned about running out of money. Uh, the second is that they're bored. They they just want to fill their time, do things with their time, and they find that they need to just go back. And the one thing they, they enjoyed doing was was being in the workforce, and it's not as labor demanding as you mentioned, but it's it's getting back and being reengaged to what it was. So um, that's a, that's a very interesting point that you're bringing. Do you do you feel that people should be, let's say, planning for going back to work? So, and not in our survey, but there's there's previous research showing that people do, uh, you know, they do anticipate these things to a great extent. Uh, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but uh, I think research using the health and retirement study, which follows Americans 50 and older, um, you know, every two years, sort of over the course of their lives and periodically checks in with them. Uh, they ask people, you know, whether or not they they plan to come back to work after retirement and a substantial number of them say yes. And then you do see those people, you know, doing that. So there's definitely a component of people who are, are anticipating something like this. Maybe they're burnt out, you know, uh, at the end of their careers and, you know, retired to take some time off. But then, as you were saying, maybe they get a little bit bored and decide to go back into the labor force and possibly into a different, different type of job at that point. Um, and so, you know, there, there's definitely going to be some people who are, um, are doing it for financial reasons, and especially, you know, uh, maybe five, six, seven years ago when, uh, you know, the financial crisis was kind of like right in swing. I, I imagine there were a lot of people who caught, were caught flat-footed with that. Um, but, you know, more recently as things have calmed down, I think the, these non-monetary factors are kind of asserting themselves again. And so when you look at the trends that are happening, are the individuals going back to the same industry? Are they trying something new, different industry? There's, there's been movies on this where people are going back to work. And, and I think it was Robert De Niro. He was in a movie. Uh, I think it was called Retirement. Um, he goes back to work, but it's in a completely different field than what he was accustomed to. Oh, it's like to. the intern or something, The intern. Right? That's or... the name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you yeah, find that they're well, going back to the so... same industry? Well, that is a good question, and we're actually at sort of the beginning of our research on this, uh, you know, at least at our, our group at RAND. So this American Working Condition Survey that you talked about, um, you know, it's this really cool, comprehensive of working conditions, and, and it really was geared towards finding out, you know, what's going on in, in, at um, older ages. And one really cool thing about the panel is that we're able to follow these people over time, and we're planning a new wave this summer. So we'll be able to go back and ask people new questions about what they're doing and see what they were doing in the past. And so we'll be able to answer these questions about 
Um, are they changing industries? Uh, you know, are they in the same industry maybe, but a different type of job where they're maybe mentoring more, uh, you know, junior people and sort of passing on some of their wisdom a little bit. Uh, so I, I think that's a little bit of a stay tuned yeah, for me. <laughs> that's a good one. So I think, I think when you're looking at, um, these types of changes or, or the unretirement, um, there, there's a whole bunch of different factors. So let's go through the survey. What was some of the, um, wow or, um, the aha moments that you got out of that, that, uh, that survey? Uh, with respect to older, older workers or people closer to retirement age? Yeah. Yeah. Closer to retirement age or, or already in retirement from the survey itself. What did, what surprised you out of that? Well, um, you know, one thing I thought that was actually, I'm not sure if it was surprising, but, you know, just really interesting um, was that older workers, uh, you know, seem to basically just be much more happy in their jobs than younger workers in terms of the, the non-monetary characteristics. So, you know, they have, everyone sort of has their own preference for the, the pace of work or the flexibility of their schedule and these types of things. Um, you do tend to see these patterns that I talked about where older workers tend to value these things a little bit more than younger workers. You also see that older workers have have jobs that seem to be a better fit for them. And it's not it's not totally clear what the mechanisms, you know, are there. Um, but, you know, there definitely seems to be evidence that um, at older ages, people are much more um, selective about the type of work that they're doing and able to find jobs that, that fit them. So that was that was sort of one uh, feature that I found interesting. I definitely found interesting the fact that um, you know that the paycheck factor was just much more important for younger workers than older workers, um, at least as we were seeing in our data. They cared about retirement benefits, health insurance, but yeah. you know other things, uh, you know, other formal benefits were less important to them. Um, and so really, it was these kind of non non wage characteristics that were really that really seemed to be driving decisions for them. Seems like we've converted some of these people from a quantitative look at, at their career to a qualitative look with their lifestyle and a balance between the two. Yeah. I can actually there is one thing that occurs to me now that, that was really surprising to me, which was the, the physically demanding work is actually still really pre- prevalent among older workers. Um, there's a lot of older workers who are doing physically demanding or just repetitive task type jobs um, that are sort of straining on the body. And that was something that I, that I was a little bit surprised by. I thought that was sort of the younger person's name, but it, it seems to be, you know, um, even, even it's happening at, at high rates for older people. Some great information. I want to thank you for joining us today, Kathleen. All right. Thank you. That's Kathleen Molina uh, Rand, senior economist and co-author of its American Working Conditions Survey. Some great information. And if you're going through that unretirement or you're looking at, can I retire? Will I run out of money? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to enjoy my lifestyle or make sure that my lifestyle doesn't retire. We're going to be talking about all that and giving you our strategies to bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, May 29th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Now, coming up after the break, we're going to try something new. We're going to bring a city official in. A a counselor, George Chahal, will be in our our studio to talk or actually talking to us about what's going on in the city and how are we helping those individuals who are transitioning to or living in retirement. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. 
Welcome back. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And we're going to try something new today. We're going to be having a bit more of a local conversation. Normally, Dave and I talk about international, global, and economic themes, things that are happening to people in retirement. We don't really get a lot of conversation about what's happening here in the city. So we're bringing in uh, George Jahal. He's Calgary Councillor for Ward 5. And George is taking some time out this Saturday to chat with us. So, George, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Faiso, and good afternoon, everybody. And so I wanted to kind of touch base and kind of get an idea of what's the feel of the city. You know, the people who generally listen to this to- this show are your 50-plus crowd. They're transitioning to or living in retirement. So they're taking a global view for their money, but they're taking a local view for their lifestyle. So let's talk about what's happening in the city. Let me Let me throw one topic at you, get your opinion on it, and then we'll go from there. Let's talk about the Olympics. Are we going to have it? What's the thoughts about that? That's an exciting topic and a big discussion in our city today. And I think, uh, Faisal, what we're going through as a city is really looking at the cost benefits of hosting an Olympics. You know, what does it mean for Calgarians if we were to host an Olympics? And what are the costs to Calgarians? Uh, But what does our city look like without an Olympics? We have, um, you know, really major infrastructure needs uh, within the city of Calgary to ensure that we are a a winter city that hosts a lot of uh, Uh, World Cup events, and I think that's really important to consider as we go through this whole process, but also to consider, you know, we pay a lot of uh, our taxes go to the provincial and federal levels of government. This potentially could be an opportunity for the federal government to give some money back to the city of Calgary to invest in uh, some of our infrastructure requirements and for the benefit of all Calgarians. So is this more of a push towards the infrastructure that we need so we can get some federal money? Or do we actually, does the council kind of feel that we need something like the Olympics to kind of revitalize the city? Kind of like what we did back in 88 after the oil crash. And you know what? I think it's a bit of everything. I think it's a great opportunity to market our city globally um, and to reinvent who we are as a city and, and diversify into other opportunities we have. And the 88 Olympics left an amazing legacy for our city. But I think one thing we have to be clear of, Faisal, is we really have to look at the cost benefits and really present the details with full transparency to Calgarians so they know the actual costs as taxpayers in Calgary, what we're going to face, and also the benefits. And let's make an informed decision. And in, in June, we'll have their opportunity to do so. And so with, with this uh, opportunity in June, um, we've got, we've got uh, a couple of things that the people need to understand. The cost, we normally think of the financial. What about the non-financial cost? What should people consider when we look at the cost on a non-financial basis? Well, I think the non-financial, the social benefits of hosting such a game, you know, the pride we have in our city and how we present ourselves to the world. I know for myself, um, the 88 Olympics gave me an opportunity to volunteer, to have civic pride, and also mentorship and the legacy that it left. So I think the social benefits are incredibly important as well and something we need to consider. Okay, and so that's something that we should all think about. Will there be more information about the costs and benefits? Where should we get that kind of information from? So on the city website, you can get information on the on the previous bid ex- exploration committee's report, and we will be providing further information on the cost benefits moving forward in June. And if we clear that hurdle uh, onwards, and before we get to a plebiscite, all Calgarians need to ensure that they've seen the information and that the city were fully transparent with it. 
Okay, so let's uh, let's take a look at the next topic. There's there's been conversation about um, transit passes and for transit passes for low income individuals and maybe seniors. And you've you've had some comments about that uh, as you've as you've walked your beat as a councilman. Uh, what's what's the uh, what's your take on it and what, what are the ideas that we're putting up for? Well, currently we have a fair entry program with uh, low income Calgarians. Um, of all ages can access and that gives you uh, a discount on a pass but I'm looking at opportunities for all seniors um, over the age of 70 and maybe we can do 65 after we look at the cost benefits um, to see if you know if you're over the age of 70 do we really need to um, make you go through a fair entry line to get a low uh, a low cost uh, seniors pass and I think we should look at just having all seniors um, be able to ride public transit at no cost. So I'm doing, really doing my due diligence now and making sure that we get all the numbers and details around that. But I think it's an important cause. And, you know, our seniors have provided a lot um, in building this great city. And I think that's something we can do and give back. And I think, you know, rather than having somebody wait in line for an hour um, for a pass, you know, let's give all seniors over the age of 70 an opportunity to ride public transit because it is public transit. And so how, how do you verify if, if people over the age of 70 are utilizing the transit system? Do we have that kind of data that we can say this is going to be a, a need or is it, is it, are we just trying to, uh, you know, do something nice for the, for the, for the, the people over the age of 70? Well, I think, um, you know, there's a number of Calgarians who do use public transit. A um, number of our seniors are working, um, you know, after the age of 65 now more and more. Um, but after the age of 70, I'm, I'm sure you talk about on your program, you know, we moved to a RIF and uh, a lot of our seniors are on, um, you know, lower incomes and they're balancing budgets with increased costs and with CPP and old age security. So, you know, I think this is just to help um, the seniors who do use public transit. Uh, it just helps them save a little more money on costs that they're incurring. But also, I think it is important to really look at the cost of administering the program and the revenues we generate. Um, you know, I think it's probably uh, pretty close. So, you know, it reduces some red tape and also gives our seniors um, free public transit. So I'm going to look into the details and do our due diligence. And, and maybe in the next few months when I come back and speak with you, I'll provide further details on that. Fantastic. One one topic I want to bring up to you because I've I've done a lot of research around um, companies, countries that are changing their pension plan system. Most people talk about what the National Canadian Pension Plan or old age security, but they forget that Calgary is also a employer. The city of Calgary is an employer who has pension plans, and I've seen many companies move from a defined benefit pension plan, guaranteeing income for the individual, the pensioner to a defined contribution, which basically says we're setting a certain amount of money aside and then whatever happens in your investments happen in your investments. Um, is the city going to look at that? Because there's a lot of liability or a lot of cost to the city. That could save us on a whole bunch of money potentially. Um, is, is that something that the city's looking at? Well, I don't think that's been um, you know, a focus of the city's discussions. Um, there's a lot of issues uh, around that currently. Um, but I think it's important we do consider it. I mean, you know, the pension liabilities uh, have impacted um, many corporations and brought down, um, I would say, the auto industry and cities like the city of Detroit and uh, many other American cities. Um, the city of Detroit was in bankruptcy. And it's the long-term um, liabilities that really, um, 
cripple, uh, you know, many corporations and cities. So I think we do need to take a hard look at that moving forward and what that means for um, Calgarians and the impacts of it. So I'm willing to have that discussion uh, in the future and uh, hope hopefully we can continue on and you, know, you being a financial whiz can provide further insights on that and maybe we can work together and see if we can find some more innovative solutions. I like how you brought up the city of Detroit because the not because they've gone bankrupt or their issues of uh, fiscal situation, but the fact that Detroit is known for a singular type of industry, which was the automotive industry. We're known, generally speaking, throughout the world as a singular-based type of city, which is primarily oil and gas. And so, with that type of risk, when you're putting in pension plans or guaranteed guaranteed benefits to to city employees, that holds a guaranteed cost, but not a guaranteed or a diversified industries within the city, which causes a lot of economic uh, hardship potentially. So I'm glad that this is something that you're thinking about at least and and willing to look at. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. I'm not saying we should change anything. I'm just saying we need to look at it. Well, we do need to look at all options moving forward. As you said, we, you know, our economy is based on uh, oil and uh, we're, you know, the world's changing and our economies are changing. So we have to change with the times and look at all options, all innovative options to see how we can make sure that Calgarians um, for the long term, um, that the processes we're using are sustainable and uh, benefit for Calgarians for generations to come. We've got about 20 seconds. I heard that you're you're doing uh, something interesting in your ward with playgrounds and, and making it intergenerational. Really quickly, give us an idea of what's going on in your ward. Yeah, we're doing a lot of innovative work. We have a lot of multi-generational families and a lot of seniors that come out uh, spring, summer, enjoy our parks and playgrounds. We want to incorporate more inclusive playgrounds that um, are very inclusive to the needs of our children, but our seniors as well. And we're also working with researchers uh, with the University of Calgary Medicine through May Calgary to incorporate uh, more health and research and health and exercise within our aging demographics. So I think these are really important initiatives that we're, we're working on in Ward 5, and uh, I hope other parts of the city will do the same. And uh, I can bring you a further update down down the road on that as well. That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, this is Councilman George Chahal from Ward 5 on our show. We're going to get him back on a reoccurring basis. Give us updates of what's happening in the city and give us updates on, on his thoughts of how we can handle the city in the future. George, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Faisal, and uh, have a great day, everybody. All right, so now, what about your future and your retirement? What about your future in regards to ensuring your lifestyle never retires? And how do you fit in your financial and non-financial situations? Combine it together to bulletproof that retirement. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, May 29th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website, at morethanmoneyradio.com. Now, coming up after the break, are we spending too much or not enough in our retirement? We're going to talk about that, some of the research that's come out of the United States, and how we're going to make a parallel viewpoint to Canada. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. All right, welcome back to 770 CHQR and More Than Money, and I brought in my guest host, the better partner, Andrew Masson's here. He's the third partner of the Popwich Carmelli Advisor Group. As Dave is away, we wanted to have a good conversation about retirees and their spending, and their spending. So here's the interesting thing, Andrew. Uh, first of all, welcome to the show, my friend. Nice to be here. It's been a while. It's been a while, yes. Yeah. And I want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you for covering for Dave, because 
uh, it's a better atmosphere when he's not well, like here. Like I said, it's the velvety tones of Andrew. <laughs> so, so here's the, the story that came out uh, at the Globe and Mail. Um, retirees are not spending their savings anywhere nearly as quickly as academics have been thinking. That's the headline. Okay. Yep. And so we read the article. Mm-hmm. We looked into it. We uh, we looked at the research that uh, that Fred Vertiz and his group did. Uh, and Fred's a, a reoccurring guest on our show, a great contributor to our show. So I want to have a bit of a conversation with you because the reason why I wanted to bring you in here is um, on our team, anybody who goes through our retirement strategy and our retirement plan uh, gets their numbers crunched by you. Yep. You're, in the char- you're in charge of or you're in the head chair of making sure people's financial numbers make sense. Yeah, I'm a bit of a bean counter for that. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and, you know, when we looked at this article, Faisal, the first thing I did when I came in to see you is I, I had questions about it. And, Absolutely. And, and my first question was is the article was really focused on retirees that have already gone through their lifespan or a good portion of it, meaning I think it was 17, 18 years in. Okay, so that, let, let's kind of give the, the, the mm-hmm. foundation of this article. So that's the first part. Employ, Employee Benefits and Research Institute put a study out, compared the assets of retirees with the assets they had at the time of retirement 17 or 18 years ago. So if these individuals are in their 70s or 80s, mm-hmm. we're talking about when they were in their late 50s or late 60s. Okay, so they looked at when they were retired, 17, 18 years into their retirement, what were their assets? Here's some of the research that came out of it, Mm -hmm. not including their home. So non-housing assets at retirement, the most affluent group were people who had retired with more than $500,000 in their retirement. 18 years later, the median, the average the average level of savings dropped by 11.4%. So over 17 or 18 years, they only spent 11% of their savings yep. through their retirement. Now, the next group uh, was not as um, fortunate, let's say. The next group are the ones that were had about 36% of their savings encroached on. Mm-hmm. And so... And the, those, that was the, the group that was under $500,000. Uh, under 500000 Of core assets, not including their homes. Correct. So that's so what, what the analysis came out of that, regardless if you're, you've got 90% of your money left or 70% of your money left, 18 years into your retirement, you have lots of money, you're not spending enough, was what the, the headline of the article basically said. Now, they went through three different theories. Theory number one. Theory number one basically said that um, maybe they're not spending enough money. Number two, theory number two is maybe they saved too much. Mm -hmm. Okay, which sounds like the same thing, but really it's different because um, they might have saved more than they really needed. Yeah. Or they're not spending as much as they thought. And that was a very interesting thing. And then theory number three was that Canadians should be spending more in their early years of retirement and then tapering it off because they found that the older you are, the less that you spend. Which I tend to find generally in my, in my financial true. plan. And, and anecdotally, what I see 
on, on a day-to-day basis or we tend to uh, – I've always separated retirement in three phases, as you're well aware. And I go, you know, the first 10 years of, of retirement life, I call those the go-go years yeah. because you're out, you're doing things, you're having fun, you're traveling, you're visiting friends. You might move and go to a new, a new place, but all those are great things. Yeah. Um, so those are the go-go years. And pay, people tend to spend more. In, in the go-go years. years. Okay. okay. And then my second phase, or what I call, is the slow-go years. So between, let's say, the second 10 years of that retirement piece. All right. And what happens there, once again, is is very simply they, they've moved on. They've, they've traveled. They've enjoyed time. They still want to do those things. But maybe it's getting a little bit more difficult. Physical issues might take place. The cost of travel or the cost of insurance to ensure themselves medically to go traveling. Or it's inconvenient. Or it's inconvenient. Going through airports and stuff. So it was the go-go years, let's say the first 10 years, the next 10 years are the the slow-go years. Nice. Yeah. And And then the third one? The third one are the no-go years. No-go, okay. And this is once... Once it becomes difficult, whether it be medically, um, you have you have uh, appointments to go to, you're having difficulty to maneuvering, um, or or other medical factors that will slow that down as well. Um, so those are the three phases, or what I tend to see. Um, but what's more int- more interesting about this is is how much they spend. So what I found interesting about this uh, research, and they're looking p- at people who have been 17 or 18 years into retirement. I, I believe that, and this is just me thinking out loud here, my friend, I believe that the people that they did the research on came from a different generation of viewpoints. A way of, the way they looked at money is different. Well, and that's the first thing I said when I came in your office that's about right. it was, hey, um, I really want to understand um, this, this, this really works from those that retired in, let's say, beginning of 2000, but that doesn't necessarily equate to the baby boomer generation that is now beginning to retire who have be- had a lifestyle they've become accustomed to. They like to spend, they like to travel, they like to do things. And how does that affect them moving forward into their retirement and through their retirement? Yeah. And so I think the, um, the, the thesis that we're coming up with is that it's different with this generation of retirees that are coming mm-hmm. up the board. And I, I think you're right, because the previous generation of retirees, and we have clients like this, anecdotally, I can tell you, they came from a different world. They came from a world uh, where the Great Depression hangover. Yep. Do not spend, save, protect yourself. There's going to be a tough period in time. And, and I look at, at, at people that I know quite close to me, and, and they, they've been through that generation where they've come through the Great Depression, they went through the, the Second World War, and they've been accustomed to not having a lot and they make sure that those dollars remain in their pockets. That didn't change in the year 2000. Correct. They, they just retired. Correct. And so the, the next generation of retirees is the generation that invented the credit card. That's right. <laughs> Was it 1967? Something like that. That's right. So, so this generation is comfortable with spending mm-hmm. and borrowing today to spend today and you and give back that money in the future. So they're That's right. they're 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 known for that kind of a, a lifestyle, mm-hmm. which is not bad, it's just different. And so I think although the research says that you spend less in retirement, you might have not you, know, you don't have to save as much, you could spend more. I think there's very few people because when we do the analysis, and especially when you crunch the numbers, anecdotally with our clients now again this is the five hundred thousand dollars and higher type of individuals mm-hmm. they're spending 
is still going through. We have to work even harder in today's yes. markets to make sure that they don't run out of money, that they don't encroach on capital, that they that they have the same problem as the generation before. Well, and we just have to make sure that there's that minimum and maximum levels that we look at on a regular basis so people understand, hey, this is what I could spend, but you know, we have some wiggle room around what we, we can we can do here. And then once again, really have a conversation about where are we going to go with this? Um, am I willing to sacrifice tomorrow for today and accept that? Because there's other issues, as you and I have talked about before, that's not just about the financial plan and not just about the income I'm going to receive, but what's going to happen to me in the future. Do I have a predisposition uh, with my, my family when it comes to different health issues, whether yep. it be um, um, physical health issues or mental health issues? Those issues can affect your future significantly and these are new things that really didn't happen in the prior generation. And I think we need to look at what else happened in uh, the past 18 years. Let's go past 20 years. We've actually seen a decrease in income tax rates. Mm -hmm. And then it's starting to pick back up, especially in this province, for higher income individuals or even in the country for higher income individuals. So as people retired over the last 18, 20 years, their tax bills have gone down. Yep. Right? Their inheritances have come in with low, with less tax. Mm -hmm. Today, a different story. Tax rates have gone up, generally speaking, for high-income individuals. And when they receive an estate from their parents, because there's trillions of dollars coming their way, yes, they're going to be taxed at a higher tax rate. Well, and one other thing, just to mention on this whole on this whole picture, is that young, that older generation that we were talking about before had defined benefit pension plans we go. that were not considered in today's day and age. Today's day and age, there's still some of those that remain, but there's not a lot left. Oh, we can talk about this forever, my friend. I think this is a great conversation. I want to thank you for joining us and covering for Dave, and especially bringing your insight uh, to the show, Andrew Masson, a third partner of the Popwich Carmel Advisory Group. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Faisal. All right, so again, we're going to talk about all this stuff. How do you protect your retirement? Because you're in a new generation of retirement. We're going to discuss that on Tuesday, May 29th, 7 p.m., at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seat, so give us a call, 966-8400, or go to our website to register at More Than Money. That's it for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.